and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Monday late morning here. I'm uh, going to be breaking this podcast into two parts um, for scheduling purposes, so bear with us. But joining me first, I really wanted to talk to this man, Mark J. Spears from Manscaped. Um, he's joining me from Las Vegas. He's been at the Summer League the last few uh, days, the first four or five days of Summer League. That's why I wanted to talk to you, Spears. How are you doing? Oh, man, it's a beautiful morning in Vegas. I'm up. I'm, you know, I'm, you should be impressed. It's 8 a.m. That's right. And I'm up. That's I dedication in Vegas. Man. It is. It is. Absolutely. Um, so I appreciate it. So um, you've been putting out some really good stuff from, from Summer League. Um, I just want to know, this is, this is usually the best time of Summer League, the first four or five days, because the players all play as we get along. That, you know, some guys get hurt, some guys stop playing. Um, I want to know your initial feelings on what you've seen before we talk about specific stuff. Um, you know, Banchero, am I, I'm always pronouncing his last name wrong. Bancaro. Bancaro. Paolo Bancaro is the real deal. Yeah. And I, and I thought he was before. And I had a debate with an NBA assistant about him versus Chet. Um, and we'll probably, I, I love them both. Um, but I told him my guess was that the magic we're, we're going to select, uh, Bancaro, um, because I think they needed somebody that could help them immediately. And there probably was some thought that Jabari Smith and Chet Holmgren might need some time. I do think both of them will end up being great players, but when you look at Paolo's body, I mean, he has a Carl Malone body. Remember our Carl Malone look when he got drafted? Oh, yeah. He had an uncomfortable suit on. He was moving <laughs> his tie and all that. I don't um, remember that, but I certainly remember Carl Malone's build. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, he's built like that at 19. And he also has some amazing leadership qualities already. Uh, and I, I just think they – probably felt like they just they just couldn't develop anybody any longer. They needed somebody that could help them now. Um, and that's not to say that those other two guys aren't going to be special. That's not to say that Chet still may not end up being the best guy overall when it's all said and done. But I, I think the Magic needed to move forward with somebody that could help them now. And the way he's played from the moment he stepped in, he's played like a bully. He reminds me of like, even though there was a small sample size for Zion, that little bit of sample size in summer league, he bullied everybody. And, and that's what Ben Carroll is doing. Um, and I, I, and I think another thing to your point of going to summer league early, they're going to start sitting guys pretty soon that are yeah. bigger names. And I, I could see that happening to him. Um, only thing knock I'll say on him is this is summer league. He, he hasn't rebounded well. He has had some turnovers. but I, So I expected him to be a better rebounder with, uh, so far. But the big surprise is he's an amazing passer, a joker-level passer. I know mm. that's saying a lot. but he's that is, that's, a, that's a very that's, high bar. It's a very high bar. But he passes on that level. I think one of the games he might have had six assists. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, I just really think that from a body-wise, uh, mentality-wise, he's going to be ready to make an impact from day one of the season. Yeah, that's one of the things about the Magic. So they, they're, they're running their offense kind of through him in summer league, and I think they're doing that for a reason because they intend to do that um, quite a bit when he starts playing. And uh, – so you wonder with the Magic, the you know they've dra- they've drafted point guards of previous two drafts in Jalen Suggs and Cole Anthony, and neither of those guys are great outside shooters. So they're both kind of creators, and so you wonder like, uh, and then you've got Markel Fultz, who actually yeah. of the three of them is actually the best shooter amongst the three of them, and so you wonder how if they're really going to have Bancaro be like their point forward, which is, which is what his skill set suited for is what you're talking about here. 
um, how that's going to work. But, you know, that's that's some time. I mean, uh, their their organization is going to probably be built around around Ben Carroll going forward. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, the thing about him, uh, Spears, you know, this like a lot of times when you see these guys who are one and done, they're just their bodies are so far behind, you know, and, they, and you're and that's why the, the G League guys, I think, have had some, you know, an interesting impact because they're playing against 23 to 27 year olds regularly. The difference in the NBA between these guys who are full men, I mean, this has been said as long as time, you know, the full men, these guys don't just don't play against. I mean, I'm sure Paolo and Chad Holmgren have played against the best people in their age group. They're in their last, the last decade, Yeah. but they've never played against guys five to seven years older than them, five to 10 years older than them who are at the top of their craft every single night. So you often see, especially big men, uh, struggle uh early on so but paolo is an exception to that yes he has an nba body already which i've talked about before but boy has that come through in the summer league yeah yeah and he's you know i'll give you another guy who's i think the kings are still trying to figure him out instead in terms of is he a three is he a four can he even play some five it's keegan murray he has been quietly amazing and he doesn't play like tim duncan but he carries himself like tim duncan just quiet demeanor just plays there's nothing that's really loud about his game right he's not really like dunking on people it's not really flashy it's, it's very fundamental but then and I, it's funny i talked to vivek about him today uh, the other day i've talked to mike brown Vivek Ranadive, the Kings owner, uh, Mike Brown, the head coach. And um, they're like, at the end of the game, you're like, okay, he has 22 and eight and two blocks. Like, you didn't, because his game isn't loud, you don't really see the production that he's going to have. And when he played Bancaro on Saturday um, afternoon, Bancaro tried to beat him up like physically punish him. I could tell that that was his mentality. The beginning of the game is, all right, I'm going to physically punish this dude. He's not on my level. And he's just going to disappear. I think he did the same thing when they played, he played Jabari Smith in the game one. And Jabari Smith didn't respond. Um, That wasn't the case for Keegan Murray. Keegan Murray started off slow. But he ended up having a really great game, great numbers, well-rounded game. And he made that uh, crazy three-pointer to send the game into overtime, uh, which is the greatest summer league game in the history of summer league <laughs> games, Brian. <laughs> because uh, there was a big comeback in the end. Um, and then he Eight hit the points. shot to force – Murray hit the shot to force overtime. Just right? calmly, like it wasn't nothing. Yeah. Pump faked on two guys. Yeah, let's just – in case people didn't see what happened. Yeah. And I didn't see what happened. I saw the last 20 seconds. Uh, the, but go ahead. Tell us what happened at the end of that game. Uh, yeah, no, like the Kings were down like eight with like two minutes left and furiously came back. They were down six with 10 seconds left. Before. Yeah. So he hit a three, get a steal. Sabonis is there. Davion Mitchell's there. They all jump up. This is right in front of Mike Brown and, and Vivek Ranadive. Keegan gets the ball. Hey, you know, Orlando does a good job. Two defenders go at it. It was like a packed house. It felt right. like an NCAA tournament game. That's what it felt yeah. like. Yeah. And Keegan does, does a pump fake. With Time, like, just to be clear, with like three, left. yeah, three seconds, yeah. he's pump faking. Yeah. Calmly pump fakes. These dudes fly in the air. Got him. Shoots the three. Bang. And and the pl- crowd just erupted like like they just won a championship or something. Right. Like that. And then they lost in overtime, but still, uh, it was from it was from an awkward spot on the floor. It was almost yeah. like um, a Larry Bird, Reggie Miller type situation yeah. where they stole the ball in the inbounds, and then he got the ball, and he was sort of like in between the corner and the and the sideways wing. too. I think. Yeah. Like it wasn't like he was squarely like yeah uh, to the basket. I mean, but that to me is a great 
my view of his, his game. It just doesn't get rattled. Even in a situation like that, panic situation, the crowd is panicked. Conley pump fakes, gets those dudes out of the way. Very Larry Bird looking like, and makes the three. It was, um, I really like this kid, Brian. So you did a story about him on Anscape. Yes. And you talked about his background. So he is from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Yeah. Um, there's been there's been a history of some Iowans in the NBA. Uh, Harrison Barnes, his teammate. Ha- Harrison Barnes is now his teammate on the Kings. Um, Ricky Davis back in the day. Okay. Uh, Kyle Korver grew up in Iowa. He's, I think he was born in Southern California, grew up in Iowa. Uh, Greg McDermott. Yeah. You know, there's some, you know, there's, it's not, uh, you know, I'm defending no. the Midwest here. It's not all cornfields. Um, Usually get their players from Chicago, right? That's true. He didn't have any division one. I think what Western Illinois offered him, right? Yeah. It's kind of, what are you saying? Like the coach was leaving. Like it wasn't a strong, right. Kind of a complicated offer. Uh, he, he, so he was like, he had three division two offers and a couple junior college offers and like a soft division one offer from Western Illinois. Right. And his dad, and he has a twin brother too, that could play his dad who played at Iowa was like, no, 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 no. We're going to take you guys to a prep school in Florida. He wanted Keegan wanted to go to a junior college, a local junior college. His dad was like, yeah. no. And Keegan actually had good numbers in high school. He just, yeah. I don't know why he fell under the radar. I mean, he's so got he, great size, right? I mean, yeah. you know. So he goes. Somebody screwed that up, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he goes to some prep school, DME, I think it's called. Yeah, Plays he said it was well. in Daytona Beach. Yeah. Goes to, goes to his dad's alma mater, Dream School, Iowa. And he said the first question he got was is he a walk-on like he's <laughs> well so, they're talking about this kid who had no offers and went to like i mean i had never now for, maybe somebody will come and display that seven nba players have gone to dme academy i had never heard of dme academy. yeah i never it wasn't like he went to img Mm-mm. or some other of these prep schools Oak that are well known. Yeah. prolific prep you right know. right uh so like i can i can kind of get it like Okay, this local kid who went to prep school shows up. Yeah, and so he went there, had an okay freshman year, but he said he saw some things at the end of his freshman year that made him feel like he could be an NBA player, which is like, okay. I mean, most college guys. I mean, most college guys think they're going to be NBA players. Yeah, Yeah. so that's not unusual. But he had a sensational sophomore year. Um, He played with Garza, I think, for a year. The dude that's at uh, Detroit. He actually got cut. I think he's a free agent, but yeah, he was drafted. Yeah. So I've had some scouts tell me they thought he was the number two player to draft. Um, So, so, you know, we talked about before the draft, Sacramento had the four pick. A lot of people had Jaden Ivey as the number four guy in the draft. There was some feel that the Kings would trade the pick. Um, And they had some discussions, but from what I hear, like some, some of the teams I talked to and look, I, Post-draft, everybody's kind of got their story. I'm not, like, totally standing by this. I haven't, like, fully vetted it or whatever. But from what I hear, the Kings weren't really – they didn't really have their pick on offer. Yeah, They liked Keegan Murray. Um, it People were wondering because they had Davion Mitchell. Um, they had drafted the year before because they had De'Aaron Fox. They had caused a problem. And they had three guards. Were they going to draft Jaden Ivey? I just think the Kings – and you you know you could say it was wrong, and we'll see. They just they thought Murray was the better player, so and they didn't want to trade the pick. And yeah. he played he played great. It, did you go to those games at, at the uh, Chase Center last two weeks ago? Because yeah, I did. He was the best. He was like kind of the best oh, rookie was, there, right? No question, the best player. He had uh, I think he had twenty six his first game, second game struggled a little, third game had twenty four. Right. No, he's he's putting up numbers, man. And I'm, Brian. I'm afraid you're about you're about to say something, man. You're about to say something like he's going to win Rookie of the Year. Is what you're. No, I was going to say something else. 
Kings are going to make the playoffs. Is that what you're going to say? I think so. Man. Now, I don't know if you could pull their roster up. Yeah. Let's pull up their roster. And this is why I, mean, I feel I, like minimum playing. I'm going to give them oh, that. He, well, here's your story. That, your story on Keegan Murray starts with playoffs question mark. Yeah. Uh, from last week. So, I mean. Um, he, he thinks they're going to make it. I think they got a shot. And if well, I think people are really he like sleeping on their roster. Um, and obviously, it's king, so you get it, right? Well, they got Kevin Herter for very good value. Yes. So when you look at their offseason, they add this guy who's looking very good. And, you know, the rule on um, – the rule on summer league is looking very good doesn't always mean you're going to be good in the pros or yeah. you're going to be good when your season starts. But looking bad is is usually not good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the The bad indicator is a bigger uh, is a bigger problem than the good is a good problem. So look, he's looking good. Um, you know they've they signed Malik Monk. They got yeah. Kevin Herter for um great value like a future first round pick that's like four top 14 top 12 top 10 i think i saw on the trade um so when you look at what they've brought in in terms of talent you know you're talking about a top five pick you're talking about two wings who can score yeah and they hired a coach give the names i'll give the names well they so darren fox will be their starting one yeah I don't know if Davion Mitchell will be their starting two, considering they brought in Herter and Monk. But... Yeah, I, I see him probably coming off the bench. Although okay. he's got he's got some fire, like he's expecting to do big games. I think that's you know you got a new coach, so I think you just throw the ball out and see what happens, right? Right. And you have Harrison Barnes and Keegan Murray will probably be their three, four. Yeah. And you have Sabonis who will be their five, uh, or you know they could have Sabonis at four, and they could put. Uh, Rashawn Holmes at at five. You know, Rashawn Holmes is a quality center, probably undervalued center. Yeah, very undervalued. Um, you know, uh, Sabonis. We'll be interested to see if Sabonis signs a extension this offseason. He's extension eligible. Um, he's like he and the organization are are, are in love with with in love with in love with each other right now. They're both yeah. hugging each other. Um, I thought it was interesting. Uh, so there was a, there was a pickup game, and for all I know, they played seven days in a row. But there was a pickup game last week in L.A that some photos got out of it. And I always assume that they're purposely, they were strategically leaked, but um, uh, Westbrook was in the game. Durant was in the game. Kyrie was in the game. That's who we're reacting to. Sabonis was in the game and Sabonis was wearing King's gear. And not all the players were wearing their team's gear. <laughs> Kyrie yeah. was not wearing that gear. Um, Sabonis is very happy in Sacramento. And so it'll be interesting to me if he signs an extension there this summer. Well, he a uh, little interesting side note on him. He settled in in Napa Valley, mm. so loves it there. He and his wife, I believe, they have a young child, and he commutes. And he told me to commute like it's kind of reminiscent of being back in Europe. He likes to drive, likes driving around. You know, well, we'll see how much Napa he likes Valley. to drive. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a nice place to drive through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think when obviously they're heavy in town, he'll probably have a. Uh, I'm sure he has yeah. a crib there too. But yeah. like he's he's enjoying Northern California, I, and I think it's kind of brilliant. I, I have not heard of any kings like saying, and it's no shade on Sacramento, even though Bay Area people shade on Sac <laughs> all the time. Um, like yeah. Napa's like not too. It's like 40 minutes. Like yeah. it's Napa Valley is cool. So I like, I was actually yeah. impressed that he's doing that. You know, I have to say, I, I can't say that I can speak on a great knowledge of a lot of Kings players during my career in the NBA. I have not covered. Have you even been to the arena? The new arena? Yeah, I've been there okay. multiple times. Yeah. But I okay. mean, uh, um, I've never witnessed the Sacramento Kings playoff game in person. I mean, I mean, yeah. I'm, I, I mean, they haven't made it in forever. So, um, I have. It was a long time. I know I, when I first. It's it's, it's not going to be the same if if and when it happens as 
as cowbell, cowbell yeah. kingdom. You know what I mean? Like there's. Well, that arena, like Arco arena. I mean, I, you know, when I came into the NBA, when I started covering the NBA, the Kings were very good. You know, um, uh, Mike Bibby, Pedro Stojakovic, Chris Weber. I mean, they were ran the corner of I mean, they were really good, but that's, that's a long time ago. Those guys are all got gray hair. Um, let's say, I will say something about Mike Brown. I covered Mike Brown for five years as a head coach uh, in Cleveland day to day. I know him well. Um, I have a good relationship with him. So I'll just identify that up front. Mike Brown, like he, you know, and he's a guy who in his career has, you know, he's, he's, he's coached LeBron. He's coached Kobe. I mean, he's, he's got, um, he's got a bunch of, he's got a handful of rings because he was the assistant coach with Tim Duncan and assistant coach with Steph Curry. And the, he coached LeBron to the finals and he coached Kobe and, and like he's worked with superstar players. And so his, his record is very good. And, um, and, but, but, you know, he's had the, 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 the fortune to be with all these superstars, but he teaches and believes in defense. Like no one I've ever covered on a day-to-day basis. He believes defense is so important and he has abilities to, be like a whisperer to complex guys. Like, for example, when he was in San Antonio, he was the guy who could get to Steven Jackson, who we all know, um, you know, the captain. I love him as a guy, but he's a difficult guy. Yeah, He was able to, and then in Indiana too, then they had him in Indiana. He was able to sort of be with him in those places. One of the biggest losses that the the Warriors are facing with when him leaving is that you kept me if I'm wrong, like his relationship with Draymond, yeah, uh, was incredibly valuable in the way he could reach Draymond and, and connect with Draymond. So, but Mike is a type of coach, and he's kind of hokey and corny. And mm-hmm. if you saw anything about his um, his press conference, uh, he was making like sort of hokey dad jokes. And that's who he is. That's his personality. Okay. And he's kind of, he's kind of, you know, he, he kind of has like a nerdish quality to him because of yeah. his glasses and kind of the way he talks. But when it comes to defense, the way LeBron has played on defense in his career is because of Mike Brown. Mike Brown taught him to be a good defensive player. And like, I remember early on, this is how Mike Brown looks at the game. I remember early on covering him and there was like games like the, the Cavs would lose like, 86 84 and the game would end and you'd be like why mike you guys shot 36 percent uh you know lebron was two of 11 in the fourth quarter he had six turnovers what do you do to get your offense going he'd go if we lost 86 84 we should have given up 83 points that's the way he looked at it and if you remember the Cavs team that got to the finals no i mean people make fun of that team whatever you want to say they got to the finals because Mike Brown molded them into this defensive juggernaut behind LeBron. So the Kings have not been good defensively. They are, they are, they're, they're, their history of defense is atrocious. So if Mike Brown can do his Mike Brown stuff, you know, I, I, they should get better. I'm not saying they're going to playoff spheres, but you like Keegan yeah. Murray. That's what you're here to tell us from Summer League. Yeah. And, and uh, going to Mike, you know what? I, I have the same relationship as you. You know what? He he's got a little swag now, Brian. He he he's uh that that guy we remember from the Cavs and the Lakers. He's if you watch how he dresses and he carries himself, and perhaps that's we we saw young Mike. We've seen seen him evolve. And he so he 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 dresses a little uh more San Francisco now. I think okay. the, Bay, the Bay had an influence on him. Okay, I see. But you know what I think has helped him? with this situation is having coached Nigeria because yes. he had to build Nigeria's men's basketball program from scratch. And it's, and it still has a lot of challenges, but he like basically try has, has been trying to follow a USA basketball model, you know, st- start kind of getting used to uh, looking for the younger talent building the like, so he had a camp last year before the Olympics where he had like probably looked at 60 players. A lot of them were young players, um, you know, Nigerian American that weren't ready. I and, think a lot of which he's pretty much paying for out of his own pocket. 
too, by the way. Yeah, he got some sponsors. I think okay. some help. Yeah, but he might, yeah, he might have had to pay for some things. But um, you know what? I don't think he had to pay for anything. I just don't think he got paid. Oh, okay. Okay. Maybe he took what his salary would be and put yeah, it back in. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And paid his okay. paid his assistance with it, I think. Yeah, okay. Um, but I think that experience is helping him like build in Sacramento. And what I say by that is like during the playoffs when he had off time, he went and saw De'Aaron Fox in Sacramento. He had dinner with Keegan Murray during the playoffs in San Francisco. Um, he he was sneaking to Napa to go visit Sabonis. Like he was, he's been doing all these things. And I, I heard they had a dinner in Napa Valley, like the Kings players did like the ones that were still, you know, under contract and everything. So it's like Murray, Fox, Keegan, you know, Sabonis, Mitchell. And I heard the bill was pretty hefty. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, yeah, but there's some restaurants in Napa that can get yeah, that way, right? And, and I heard the Kings were like, is this, is this correct? And he's like, hey, I want to build a first-class environment here. I want players to come here and, and know that, we're going to do like first class things. And, and they're like, all right. So I think they're, I think I'm going to give Yvette credit for this. I think he's like letting Mike build this, Met, letting Mike try to bring some respectability that they've wanted for a long time to the Kings. So there's a, this different air about the franchise and how they're doing things with um, Mike's. Uh, ascension there and i think joe dumars who has since left really before he left really pushed them to give mike the opportunity too uh so i I think he he joe played a role in that happening well there's just so there's just i mean i guess the, the spurs and the jazz were in front of them obviously and they're headed backwards so uh, I mean, those are two teams. I think they they pass. Um, but what other? No, teams they're gonna have to have some luck go their way too. They're gonna have to stay healthy. Um, they, you know, maybe they kind of become Pelicans like, right? Yeah. Well, hell, if they make the play-in, it's considered a huge. <laughs> oh be a my huge... goodness! If they yeah. they make the play-in, it, it might as well be the playoffs there. And yeah. I've talked to some of the players about it. If they make the playoffs, you will see grown people crying like they won a championship. <laughs> yeah. They uh, do have like, great support. They do have yeah. great support considering how bad they've been. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the arena, it's not the Chase Center, to be clear. No, okay? no, no, no. It's not the Chase Center, but it's a really good arena. Yeah. They did a really good job. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, considering you know what they had and that's just that's the reality like the thing about the nba is not all 30 markets are equal or 29 28 markets whatever it is you're not gonna you're not gonna walk in to crypto.com arena and get the same experience that you do when you walk in to the target center yeah that's just the way it is so the kings are dealing with the hand they have um before we go oh can um, i say one thing real quick yeah yeah Uh, i mentioned joe dumars um he and other other NBA execs in a competition committee committee are meeting Tuesday. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the take rule is eliminated from the NBA on Tuesday. Where you're allowed to take it. You're allowed to do a take foul. Yeah. So keep an eye on that. And so they're going to go probably more to the international rule, which is if you stop a foul – if you stop a play, stop a fast break by just grabbing a guy, yeah. it's uh it's a it's it's like a technical, it's one shot in the ball. Yeah. And I think another thing that's on the ballot is the playing game. Uh like making it a like this is in, you this know, is concrete thing. Yeah. So I I can't see them turning that down. So those those are two things to keep an eye on on Tuesday. Yeah, okay. Um, all right, Spears. Well, thanks, man. Uh, we're going to come back here with Kevin Pelton, who's going to join us. Uh, he's also in Vegas, so we'll be joining you uh, with a minute. Thanks, Pierce. Thank you. 
Ah, that sound has to make you smile. It's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big business. So upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. Shopify has the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. Reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. Synchronize your online and in-person sales. Gain insights as you grow with detailed reporting, of conversion rates, profit margins, and beyond. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. So go to shopify.com slash hoop, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash hoop right now. Shopify.com slash hoop. Vivid Seats wants you to get to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch assist and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seat Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP, H-O-O-P. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. And now joining us from Las Vegas, it's a little bit later in the day now. We're all older, wiser than we were a few moments ago when we talked to Mr. Spears. Joining me from his hotel room in Las Vegas is the machine, Kevin Pelton. Hey, Brian, miss you guy. Miss you here. Not really. You don't really miss me. <laughs> well, we don't get a chance to talk about uh, uh, your memification in person, so that's a bummer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a real real great topic of conversation I can't get enough of. <laughs> sure. um, uh, did you go to the other summer league? Yeah, I, I did the first two days of the Salt Lake City Summer League. So I got to see Chet Holmgren's two games there, in addition to the one he's played here. Right. I don't know if he's going to play many more. That might be about it. Um, doesn't doesn't seem likely. Yeah. Um, before we get into some other uh, NBA uh, maneuvers this offseason, what are some of the things that have stood out to you in the? Uh, you've now seen more summer league than any man should already this offseason. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, uh, some people probably saw more with the California classic with the three days of that, but, uh, yeah, I I think so with Oklahoma city, I I think actually as good as Chet Holmgren has been, and and he's been awesome. And particularly that first game in Salt Lake city was kind of everything that was hyped about him is a prep prospect up and coming that we didn't necessarily see a lot of at Gonzaga. He wasn't asked to create his own offense and, you know, which is something that most seven footers are not doing, particularly from beyond the three point line. But that was, that was really fun to see. Cause I hadn't seen it the three times I had seen him in person, you know, the defensive element we all knew was there. And, and I think that's going to be the bigger part of this game. Maybe that's at the template a little wrong, but the guy who's really stood out from Oklahoma city to me is Jalen Williams, who I, I didn't know a lot about. He kind of popped late is a first round caliber prospect had seen him at the NBA draft combine in Chicago, but he's been very impressive in their summer league games. And I think maybe has done more to increase my opinion of him than any other prospect so far. Uh, also saw the the two games for Paolo Bancaro, two for Javari Smith Jr., one for Keegan Murray thus far. And, you know, I think all three of those guys at times have really shown and, and Chet belongs in the same tier as well. Like what made them such outstanding prospects? And Jaden Ivey, who uh, unfortunately is probably done for summer league after he suffered an ankle injury. But, uh, you know, I think it's it's been a generally strong performance by this class. Maybe Jabari Smith Jr. looks like, you know, maybe a little slower developing you know, uh, thus far than, than the other guys, but also we know better than to read too much in the summer league. What about, um, the second year guys, um, a number of whom have played, you like to see a second year guy flat out dominate. That's what you like to see. You like to see a second year guy play two games and say, all right, I'll see you in training camp. Um, what second year guys have, uh, have sort of made an impression on you either way. Yeah, I think Josh Giddy is in that category. They played him three games, and I think they wanted him to play a lot with Chet, 
was part of the thinking behind that, but uh, he definitely looked like he fell into the too good for summer league category. I think Josh Christopher has been pretty solid for the Houston Rockets. He was someone who, you know, played more than I think I expected as a rookie and kind of embraced the defensive element, which wasn't his game necessarily as a prospect. But uh, you know, I think he's he's got a bright future for Houston. So the, the two of those guys pop immediately. Yeah, Giddy. Um, Giddy is. I mean, it, he's developed this super fast relationship with Chet Holmgren. I don't, I don't think they would have had a relationship beforehand. I don't know. Yeah, not Giddy that was, I know. Of. Giddy was in Australia until last year. He was in the Australian League two years ago when Chet Holmgren was in high school. Um, you know, they had a training camp, uh, a few day training camp before they went to Salt Lake City, but like they are like genuine like fast friends. And I was talking to some people around the team. It's not just a um it's not just like something, you know, that they people are talking about because they look like they have a chemistry on the court. Like they're mm-hmm. like really genuinely bonding. And the Thunder are like, wow, we might we might actually have something here. Um uh <clears throat> Shea Gildas Alexander has not been around because um He's been playing for the Canadian national team, but um, you know, that, you know, those are two top six picks. This is what you're looking for in your organization. This is part of their rebuild. And um, you know, they, one is a ball handler and one's a, a, a rolling big. Um, I mean, you know, obviously Giddy's role, he's going to sometimes play on the ball, sometimes play off in, in, um, in Oklahoma city. They started him last year alongside, Shay, that might not be something that happens forever, but I think they just wanted to get him the minutes and the playing time. But when you look at that, is this a nice summer story or is, is this a duo that you actually can see maybe developing into something? Oh, I think so. I mean, I think along with Shay, those are the three primary building blocks right now in Oklahoma City. So, yeah, I mean, you know, Chet's interesting as a pick and roll player because I think one of the areas where he probably will improve is his ability to kind of finish explosively around the basket. Uh, I think that's something I, I talked to our Kirk Goldsbury about. He plans to write about. Uh, but but it, where he is really dangerous right now is the pick and pop game because you have to defend him to the three point line where he shot 39% in his one season at Gonzaga. So that's where that's, I think, really opened up space for the giddy drive. Of course, the. Um... <clears throat> Thunder drafted two guys named Jalen Williams. So um, <laughs> you are talking about the Jalen Williams who was drafted with the 12th pick. Is it the 12th pick or the 11th yeah, pick? The, the 12th pick. The 11th yeah. pick was uh, Usman Jang, who uh, you know I think is going to be a little more of a long-term project after playing in the NBL last year. But yeah, the uh, the Santa Clara wing drafted 12th as opposed to the Arkansas center drafted. Uh, it was like 41st, something in that. Right. Um, so... Um, <clears throat> So summer league is, you know, it's, it's sort of amorphous. It's always sort of, you, you, it's very difficult to get a three line of what's going on. It's, it's important, but it's hard to know what's important, what specifically is important about it. But stuff that happens in summer league tends to matter at some level later on. You just can't quite tell. For example, last year, the New Orleans Pelicans, if I'm not mistaken, played really well in summer league with their young guys. And those young guys ended up being big factors in the back half of their season. I mean, you couldn't have stood there and said, oh man, look at this Pelicans group. They're going to be great for the Pelicans later on. But like that, that foundation that they had with Trey Murphy and with uh, Herb Jones um, ended up mattering. So is there anything that you've seen that you've sort of filed away for later on. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that's interesting is these teams that have like large contingents of young players because of the fact that they brought back some of their second year guys in addition to their rookies. So, you know, we talked about Houston as an example of that they have three first round picks, Tari Eason, uh, they're the second of those three first round picks has been really impressive thus far. I like how he complimented. He was one of my favorite prospects in the draft. Great, great size out of LSU, right? Like six, eight. Yep. And like how he compliments, uh, Elperon Shangun and, and, uh, Jalen green and Jabari Smith jr. And the, the young talent that they have. And then, like I said, they have Christopher playing here. Unfortunately, it was Mangaruba was un- unable to play during in- due to injury, but you've got like this, 
uh, Houston, Oklahoma City, and and maybe even Detroit, which has Isaiah Stewart here as a third year guy, in addition to Jalen Duran and Jaden Ivey, their two first round picks, their two lottery picks. You've almost seen like lineups that in some ways are better than those teams played at the end of the NBA regular season. I believe that. I believe that, man. Oh, there was a tankathon going on. <laughs> Certainly the Thunder team that has shown up when they've had their like A team of their summer league guys was a lot better than some of the teams that, that they fielded at the end of the regular season. Exactly. So I think that kind of helps those teams build chemistry a little bit. But, you know, one of the things I always say when people ask how important summer league is, is I feel like there's these two schools of thought that, oh, it's completely meaningless. You can't read anything into it. Josh Selby was the co-MVP with Damian Lillard. And then the other side of it is, well, this is hugely important. Like, you know, this this player struggled. They're, They're inevitably going to be a bust. And like both of those perspectives are wrong. It's somewhere in the middle where summer league means something, but it doesn't mean everything. Man, I did not know that factoid that you just slipped in there. That <laughs> I looked it up Josh the other day. W- oh my God. So what would that have been like 2000, 2012, 11, 11, 2012. So Lillard and Josh Selby, who was a Grizzlies, like the 30th pick of the Grizzlies or something, wasn't he? Or, it, yeah. and he was going into his second year. And, and one of the things that is worth looking at with summer league stats is guys, guys who shoot really hot from three is Selby did that year. That probably doesn't mean that much because it's such small sample size, but stuff like rebounds, steals, and blocks tends to translate more consistently in the regular season, which is, you know, exciting if you're looking at Chet Holmgren, because that's the areas in which he's excelling. Yeah. Chet Holmgren's, um, you know, basket defense, help defense is just, I mean, I, I think he'll walk in and be one of the best help defensive bigs in the league. I mean, staying out of foul trouble and all that sort of stuff and not being taken advantage of and getting bruised will be a factor, but the thunder are going to play him anyway. I mean, um, like it's not like they're, it's like, well, he's not getting rebounds. So we're going to take him off the court. They're going to play. Him. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And that so, is one of the interesting things we've seen is they've played him basically exclusively at center here, even though they have Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who was their starting center at times last season has played with Chet, but he's been the power forward in those lineups. Chet has been guarding the centers almost exclusively. Yeah. Um, the thunder I'm trying, you know, the, the thunder, I thought they were a possible team that could have made an, a run at DeAndre Ayton. Who we're going to talk about in a second. They didn't have cap space after um, they didn't have cap space after uh, they, after July 1st, but I, they had trade assets that they could have done. And I thought, you know, what they needed was bigs. And, um, uh, and I, I, I wondered, I was like, you know, Ayton kind of fits their timeline is a little bit older but, you know, if they want to get good, maybe, you know, they have to use their cap space on something. And uh, they ended up using cap space on Lou Dort, which is what they, they, he, they let him out of his contract and then re-signed him. But, um, and I was basically, I checked on that. I was basically told, you know, the center of the future was just drafted. <laughs> so I do think they do see him as a center, maybe not at all times, but I do think that they intend to play him there. So there'll be trial in there. That's one advantage that they have. Um, so we talked about eight and we're recording this, like I said, Monday afternoon. Um, there's a, you know, there's been some chatter out there that Aiden could sign an offer sheet with Indiana at some point soon. Maybe by the time this podcast comes out, that will have happened. Maybe it won't have happened. Maybe it'll never happen. I mean, they've been kind of dancing around it for a while. Uh, it took uh, Malcolm Brogdon. They had to do the Brogdon trade with, with Boston because they offloaded salary in that deal. And um, as we sit here today, I think they've got a neighborhood of 26 million in cap space. Does that sound right, Belton? That is correct. Which is, which is below a, a um, the max. They could still do a sign and trade um, for uh, Aiden and give him the max. And because they have a bunch of cap space, they wouldn't have to send back um, a bunch of salary to Phoenix. They could send back a role player. They could send back Miles Turner because. Aiden would be their starting center. So I don't want to rule out a sign and trade, but if it's an offer sheet, you know, maybe, maybe it happens. Maybe it doesn't. The Pacers are obviously kicking the tires. They're obviously serious about this. What do you think about a Pacer fit for DeAndre Aiden? Yeah, it's interesting. I think it probably depends in part on what can they get from Miles for Miles Turner if they're not sending him back in a sign and trade and something else if they do sign him to this offer sheet because you know it doesn't really I don't think make sense to keep the both of those guys on the roster. Hypothetically, maybe you could play them together because 
Turner can shoot and Aiden is mobile, but we we already saw this movie with DeMontis Sabonis and Miles Turner the last few years. I don't think we need to go through it again. Uh, Aiden's a y- little younger, closer to the timeline of you know Benedict Matherin, who was their lottery pick, who who looked very good as a shooter in his debut. Yeah. Um, and you know clearly they're a few years away, and in Tyrese Halliburton, who's the other kind of core piece for this team after they got him in the Sabonis trade. And I could see Halliburton and Aiton being a really good pick and roll combo. The two of them, Halliburton proving is is effective in the pick and roll as he has the last couple of seasons. So, I, and then just from a you know a standpoint of having somebody who is a good player now, but also still given Aiton's age, has room to improve. I think it makes a lot of sense for a team like Indiana, especially if you feel like there's a legit chance that Phoenix is not going to match, and you're just going to get this guy essentially for nothing. Well, I wouldn't say Indiana never gets free agents. They've gotten a couple of significant free agents in the last 10, 12 years. David West went there, mm-hmm. which was a big signing for them. Malcolm Brogdon went there. Um, but they're not typically a team that can bank on getting free agents and certainly not max level free agents. And what's benefiting them in this situation is there's just no other teams with cap space other than San Antonio, who is not moving in the direction of a uh, of adding players through with their cap space right now. Um, if they do, it'll probably be through trades where they take on something to acquire uh, draft picks or young players. And so I just think Indiana might be reading the room and saying how often we may be able to get a player like this. It kind of reminds me of Charlotte a couple of years ago with Gordon Hayward. Hayward's market was a little thin. They'd liked Hayward for a long time. And they're like, how else are we going to acquire talent? You know, he wasn't like the most perfect fit. Um, but you know, they went for it. And so, uh, if indeed this happens, um, if let's say, let's say the Phoenix suns, uh, <coughs> hired you on a consulting contract, I know I kind of have got a good feel how they feel about Aiden, but you know, what do you, you know, let, let's just say he, he signs for, for something near the max. Maybe it'll be the max. Maybe it'll be something just a little bit below the max. What about that value with, uh, for Indiana and, and where Phoenix maybe would have to decide on that? So first, I want to have a very long conversation with Monty Williams about what went on over the course of the season culminating in that game seven against the Dallas Mavericks and try to understand that because, you know, it seems to be a factor in, you know, why they're letting Aiden test free agency and not just trying to bring him back. And, you know, obviously their mindset going back to last fall when they declined to, to you know, make him a, a max extension for the full number of years. And, you know, I wrote at the time that I, I thought that was a reasonable decision. But ultimately, that I would have maxed out Aiton because you know there's not a clear path forward otherwise, and you were going to end up in a situation like this where you potentially dealt with a more onerous offer sheet from another team than what you could sign Aiton to if if they do get to the max. He, so I would probably recommend they match it. I mean, the big thing is if that offer sheet is signed and submitted by the Pacers, which would be interesting. One of the things I noted in uh, our Buzz file today is. You got to go back to since 1982, the Pacers have only made one offer sheet to a restricted free agent in that entire span. And it was Chris Copeland from New York and the Knicks, because they had already used part of their exceptions, could not match that deal, had no ability to. He was like um, a 10 day guy that they had sort of maybe he wasn't a 10 day guy. He was minimum. Yeah. Yeah, he was a minimum player. It was it was not it was not comparable to this situation. No, no, definitely not comparable. I mean, he essentially was an unrestricted free agent. They just had to wait for them to officially right. be unable to match. So I so what that does is it takes the possibility of any sort of sign and trade off the table as soon as that offer sheet is submitted. That's the important thing to remember. And so from Phoenix's standpoint, my chances are now, my choices, I should say, are now I keep DeAndre Ayton at that offer or I get nothing. And out yeah. of those two scenarios, I got to keep DeAndre Ayton, whether it's to, you know, potentially be part of a Kevin Durant trade down the line somewhere, to be part of some other trade. Like, you know, he's going to have value somewhere in the league at that number, especially if it comes in a little less than the max. And even if, uh, you know, if Phoenix is reluctant to pay the luxury tax or, you know, doesn't feel Ayton's worth it. I, I think there's, we've, you know, we've t- uh, talked on this podcast, various people about the uh, the test of, does this player still have trade value after you sign them to this contract? The, the Nene test is my buddy, Danny LaRue calls it since he was the player who was traded like the next trade deadline after the uh, nuggets right. re-signed him. Uh, I, I think Aiden clearly is a yes on that test. So um, 
at the end of the season, Robert Sarver gave an interview and then James Jones gave an interview where they indicated that they, that they were willing to go into luxury tax with this team next year. Now, it's easy to say that's another thing to do it. Um, I think we talked earlier, and I think you said that right now Phoenix is about $15 million below the luxury tax. <clears throat> is that is that with um, including uh, his cap hold, or is that not even including him at all? Do you know? Not, in, not including him at all. So that's if you fill out that they you know need to fill assign a few more minimums to you know get to uh, enough players, you could they'd have about fifteen million to spend above those minimums, okay. give or take. Okay, that's obviously you know if the Pacers sign him, it's going to be for more than fifteen more than million 15, dollars. Yes. So. We'll take so the over match, on that one. So a match on him almost certainly, you know, if there's an offer sheet, a match on him almost certainly would put them in the tax. I think his offer, I think his qualifying offer is probably around 15, 16 million. So um, I think that's right. Um, so they, you know, even if he accepts that qualifying offer, I think they're probably headed to pretty close to the tax. And yes, um, 16.4 million. Okay. So um the one thing I wonder on the calculus that, you know, I think number one, I think the Suns feel like their center position um, as good as Aiden has been the last two years. They feel like with the way they play, there's a number of players who can be successful in that center position. Bismack Biombo played well in that position last year. JaVale McGee played well in that position last year for a few days, a free, like a handful of games, Jalen Smith uh, started at center and averaged something like, 14 and eight as a starter or something like that. And then they, tra- they didn't, they, this is what they thought about Jalen Smith. They didn't pick up his fourth year option and then traded him shortly thereafter. And I think they believe that in their system, you know, it would be great to have a, a high level center, but they don't necessarily value it at potentially 25 to $30 million a year. And so the question is, how do they weigh this in, in light of the Durant situation? If they, if there's an offer sheet and they match it, um, they then cannot trade Aiden until January 15th. And they can't trade him at all next year to the Pacers. That becomes a rule. Um, and so, you know, you can still trade him later, but it makes it hard to move money. Um, it's, you know, Durant makes somewhere in the neighborhood of $44 million, $46 million. That's a hard trade to match. And so you will not be able to use Aiton in that kind of a, in that kind of a trade, even if Aiton was being redirected. Right now, if they were able to do a Durant trade, they could redirect Aiton and help balance it out to another team in a sign and trade. Once that comes off the table, um, you know, you potentially are in the tax and then do a Durant trade that's lopsided just because it's it's unlikely. You know, I think even if you look at their roster. <clears throat> building up to the, the you know the trade to get to 46 million you know it's going to be hard for them even to get there you know th- th- there's a trade that they have that can qualify for it but it's going to be hard to get there so you wonder if part of their calculus is saving sort of a salary spot for Durant when he comes in um because you know not when if he, if he you know if they do a Durant deal they know they're going to be potentially bringing in a lot of extra salary and that's going to blow their their um their uh salary cap number way up there so i'm not it's hard for me the the suns are sort of in a juggling act here i think i think that they would love to be able to spend like the warriors spend but they can't go 25 or 30 million into the tax i think they can go into the tax but i don't think they can go so deep that they're paying enormous amounts of money and if if the, let's say they match eight, let's say Aiden signs for 25 and they match eight, and then they go 10 million into the tax. And then let's say they later on get the opportunity to do a Durant trade and maybe they send out 35 million, 37 million, and they get back 40, whatever. Now they've gone, now they're 20 million into the tax. And now all of a sudden you've got a team that's outrageously expensive. And for some teams, they would say, whatever, you know, this is what we're going to do. That's not the way the suns operate. Do you, do you follow my calculus on that at all? Uh, Pelton, do you think that's a factor maybe in what they're looking at? Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing I will say is I think just to get the value for Durant to a point where the Nets would make that trade, it's probably going to take a lot of salary from the Phoenix standpoint. You know, Aiden is probably in that deal. Mikhail Bridges, who makes 20 million, is probably in that deal. And if you trade the two of those guys for Durant, you know, setting aside Kim Johnson would be another option. You do actually save money if it's a two for one deal. So, 
I, I don't know that they should necessarily be that concerned about that element, but I think what it really illustrates more than anything is, look, the Suns right now have a variety of options. As long as De- DeAndre Aiden is sitting there unsigned in free agency, sign and trade is a possibility. We could just sign him and you know not be subject to some of the same restrictions. All, all those are options. As soon as he signs a contract, an offer sheet, all those things go out the window and your options are way more limited. I'll ask you a couple more things about this before we go. One is, let's say Aiton ends up as a pacer for whatever the price is. And let's say that there is not a Durant trade. Either he goes to someplace else besides the Suns or he stays in Brooklyn. They hold him in Brooklyn and have a you know, status quo situation there. Where are the Suns without DeAndre Aiton and, and you know, basically – the core of their team coming back. I assume they would find another center in there at some point, but um, you know, maybe they start with, with Biombo as their starting center. ESPN in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha productions presents not just football with cam Hayward. Each week fans get a peek behind the curtain of NFL life, Pittsburgh Steelers and Ohio state university defensive tackle and five-time pro bowler cam Hayward gives his unfiltered thoughts on the league and headlines across all sports. That's not just football with Cam Hayward. Listen, wherever you get your podcasts. Is the roller coaster of starting a new small business throwing you for a loop? QuickBooks can help you get paid, run payroll, and know where your business stands from the start. New business, no problem. Success starts with Intuit QuickBooks. Learn more at quickbooks.com. QuickBooks payroll, QuickBooks, and payment QuickBooks online account required. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. Yeah, I mean, I think this goes back to the point you made earlier, though. I think part of their calculus this entire time has been, can we get 80% of the production for in Biombo's case, less than 10% of the price of paying DeAndre in the max. I mean, from a financial standpoint, that's obviously a win. From a championship standpoint, especially in the playoffs, of uh, we need to be the very best team we possibly can be, I don't think that makes sense anymore. And I, I would put them certainly a tier below Golden State and the Clippers, I think, in the West. Uh, you know, Zach Lowe has been mentioning for a while that he feels like if they let Aiton go and don't replace him with another quality center or, you know, some sort of upgrade elsewhere, that it's entirely realistic they could end up in the play-in tournament. And, you know, the West is deep enough at this point. Uh, Memphis, you know, obviously is also in that mix. Denver getting healthy. Dallas is still going to be very good, even without Jalen Brunson. And I'm probably forgetting a team off the top of my head. Mo Minnesota with the addition of Rudy Gobert. Like, could they fall to, to seventh in the West? I, I think that's plausible. I don't know if I think it's likely, but it's plausible. I don't know if Aiton is, <laughs> is that valuable. I, I Well, it's also, I think, I think you, you probably expect a little bit of regression with Chris Paul's age. Probably. I mean, that's not unreasonable. I, I also think Mikhail Bridges, I think he's getting better. I think there's growth there. I think there's growth with Cam Johnson. I think, I'm not sure I can say there's growth with Devin Booker. He was first team all NBA, but I mean, I don't think he's going to get weaker. Um, so um, it is, I, I was very impressed. I'm very impressed with where the Suns are, but I agree that it's fragile with, because Chris Paul is really, really important to them. And, uh, and, you know, so much of what they do, the reason their record was so good last year with the 60 plus wins is because they were so terrifically awesome in all those close games. Chris Paul played a huge role in that. And so if you're going to sell me on why they would backslide, they, they might backslide just because even if they still had eaten, even if they were to keep exactly. Aiden, that, you know, there just could be some, you know, regression to the mean a little bit on some of all those games they won. That's reasonable to me. Um, but, you know, I'm, 
now the Suns front office is very calculating there. Um, and they have strong beliefs in things. And, you know, like Kevin Arnovitz wrote that piece on them about how they're, you know, they, they're not hugely heavily believers in building through the draft, uh, even though their team was, <laughs> was built through the draft. Um, they're not huge, heavy believers in spending a lot of money on a center. Um, even though, you know, they, the center was drafted number one overall. So, their beliefs, their core beliefs have built this squad. So you have to kind of ride with that to a certain extent. Um, so I will just one more thing before we go with the Suns. Um, it's possible that one of the things that the Suns look at here is that in the last two years, Chris Paul has said he wants to be a Phoenix Sun. That happened. Kevin Durant is interested in being a Phoenix Sun. That may or may not happen. There's a possibility that another player might also say, I want to be a Phoenix Sun. And they have all their draft picks going forward. They have really good young players. If keeping Aiton makes that harder to do a trade like that down the line, or if you know they, they miss out on Durant, there might be an opportunity cost um, with where they're at. And so part of their calculus may be we are maybe more of a destination now. Should we play? Should we lean into that? Now, it's, huge, it's obviously a huge risk because you have Chris Paul at age 37. Um, do you think I'm insane in bringing something like that up, that they would calculate an opportunity cost where maybe there could be something else for them on the trade market uh, down the line that this could close up some of those rules or, you know? Feel free to tell me you think I'm insane. I, I think it's reasonable for them to think that way. You know, that you're you're right. I mean, Phoenix was for so many years a destination in the NBA in the 90s. Like it was, it was a you know, right up there with the New Yorks and LA's and maybe the next year after that. And it feels like it, things kind of went away from them for a period of time where it wasn't nearly as in vogue, but they did like almost sign LaMarcus Aldridge. They were second in the running for him when he was the prize of free agency back in no, 2015. Yeah. I mean, Steve Nash wasn't a max guy at that point and had played there previously, but yeah, I mean, that's one of the great free agent signings, transformative ones in NBA history. So yeah, I, I think that part of it is reasonable. I just mostly don't think Aiton, you know, retaining Aiton takes that off the table because I just think he's going to be very tradable going forward. Like there's clearly interest in him in the league, the, the number one pick and you know, the, the, how well he played in the 2021 playoffs. There's going to be a lot of teams who are going to be, I think, excited to be add someone like that to the roster. He's not tradable from the standpoint of like Alec Burks and Nerlens Noel. It didn't cost the Knicks that much to get off of them to sign Jalen Brunson. Like he's tradable from the standpoint of you get stuff if you're moving DeAndre Ayton down the road. So that's why I would again probably match the offer sheet if it was out there. I one one thing point I think we should touch on is timing. So you mentioned the Malcolm Brogdon trade. The the Pacers and Celtics have a week to get those physicals completed during the offseason. Bobby Marks helped walk me through this. And so that deal was official on Saturday. And Indiana can't like be be certain that it has the cap space until a week from that. So that could affect the timing of this. Right. That's true. All the troubles, all those physicals have to be cleared. And in Brogdon's case. He does have a history of knee and foot injuries. You wouldn't want to make sure you check that out fully before it's cleared. So we're, yeah, a um, little bit, you know, we're a little bit flying blind here. We don't know because there's a lag with the podcast posting, but um, I would just say that if the Pacers sign an offer sheet and if the Suns don't match, there's going to be some blowback in Phoenix. Uh, and there's going to, and people are going to look at Robert Sarver. Uh, even if they have their reasons for doing so, people are going to look at Robert Sarver. You know, if, if, if they had an option to get Miles Turner, who's, what does he make this year? About 18 million? Correct. Um, who, would, who has one year left on his contract? Um, who would be a, a, a pretty good stopgap? Um, you know, and the stopgap isn't even fair. That, that sort of undersells him. He would be a, a, a reasonable replacement who could be cheaper. Um, he's a different type of player, um, but he can stretch the floor a little bit more than Aiton can, and he's a shot blocker. So um, I don't know. We we don't. Not all of it is clear just yet, but um, but we'll see how it develops. Uh, um, thank you, Mr. Pelton. 
Thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We will talk to you uh, later this week. Real quick, what's the easiest choice you can make? Window seat over middle? Taco Tuesday over salad? What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash hoop, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash hoop now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash hoop.